In the throes of early motherhood, Rachel Yoder's protagonist noticed some changes. Coarse hair, pointy teeth, a weird new lump where a tail might be. It is a mesmerising, imaginative take on modern mothering and the way it can transform our identity in unexpected and varied ways. Rachel Yoder's character is simply called The Mother and the book is Night Bitch. Rachel, welcome. Things seem like they've been going well for this character up to a certain point in the book. She's an artist. She's she's keeping up her work relationships. What happens? Hi, Hilary. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, what happens indeed? She has um, a lot of dreams and goals. She's quite an ambitious woman. Um, and then the desires of her body kind of take over and her desire for a child um, comes into the picture. And that's when everything sort of starts to change. That's when that transformation happens. Yeah, there's there's a, a kind of tipping point, isn't there? Because she's been the, uh, you're right, you know, the very picture of a mother, self-sacrificing, domestic, ungripey, ungrumpy. And she has these ideas that, you know, you don't have to give up the, the dreams and the work and the career uh, to have a baby. What tips are over the edge? Yeah, I think I think it's um, when she kind of finds herself far ashore, sort of a you know uh, treading water in a place she never thought she would be um, as a stay-at-home mom, where circumstances have just kind of brought her to this place where it makes more sense for her to be at home with her kid, and while that that has really sustained her for a time, um, you know. On the, on the edge of 40, she's dropped out of the workforce, she's home with a child, and she just wonders, how did I wind up here? And that's sort of where the book begins. How did I wind up here, and how do I get to a new place. Yeah, there's a really interesting moment where the husband, who's usually away during the week and home on the weekends, is home. They're all sleeping in uh, the their bed uh, and the child wakes up and cries, as he does quite often at night, and the mother f- experiences this moment of rage. Can you walk us through that moment? Yeah, that's, that's sort of that first um, feral moment we see in the book where this um, night bitch character emerges is this anger that's really unfamiliar and animalistic um, for the mother. And she's, she's startled by it. She's a little bit troubled by it. But it's this energy and anger that kind of wakes her up out of um, out of early motherhood and and makes her start asking questions about well why are why am I at home? why do I have to be at home you know like why does it make more sense for me instead of my husband like why did I have to give up my career um, and the anger is really the propelling force that kind of spark in the night that's unsettling but then you know, forces her to kind of start to take action. Yeah, I found it really interesting how there's uh, there's so much questioning of assumptions going on throughout the course of the book, but also so many of those assumptions are unspoken. So why why is she in this situation that night where she can't just poke him and go, it's your turn, you find the binky? <laughs> you know, I mean, I've been in that situation too and I'm really aware that you kind of end up there, but can you walk us through how she got there? Yeah, I suppose that's that's part of her idiosyncratic character. I mean, um, for other mothers, certainly that negotiation of sort of um, 
domestic labor perhaps comes more easily. But for this character, she comes from a really traditional um, background, a traditional religious background, which you see a little bit later in the book. And so for her sort of articulating her needs, articulating her anger, articulating her desire in all its forms is really sort of the journey she goes on in the book because she's she's quite um, voiceless in, in the beginning. She's not able to articulate um, what she needs and wants, and it's a very internal book. Um, but as we move through her story, she sort of like steps into her desire steps into her power and steps into her ability to articulate um, that that power. Yeah, that's really interesting how she can articulate more as she becomes more primal and, and less civilised in a way. We're speaking with Rachel Yoda, who's the author of a book called Night Bitch. Such a loaded term, Rachel. What does it come to mean for her? Um, what does Night Bitch come to mean for yeah, her? I mean, yeah, I that's mean, that's an interesting word for a woman to use about herself. It is. And I did, I did grapple with it a little bit. Did I really want to name a character that, um, you know, did I, perhaps of course it's like part of a kind of taking back of that term of bitch. Um, even though it's so pejorative, um, wanting to take it and say, well, no, maybe, maybe there is something to this sort of like animalism and like and and maybe there's something a little scary about it. And and what is that? I just kind of the 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 name was provocative. I wanted to poke it a little bit. I also um I also thought it was funny <laughs> to to start a book um and and make it, you know, literally make her a dog. I thought it was an absolutely absurd, really bad idea, and so I just ran with it. Yeah, the whole novel has these beautiful absurdist moments and I myself went that was me <laughs> late at night. I became a different horrible person with small children. <laughs> with us today too is Esther Freud. She is an award-winning novelist who's written many books. The latest tells the story of three women with really different experiences of love and marriage or partnering and child rearing. It's called I Couldn't Love You More. She's also Sigmund Freud's great-granddaughter. Esther, welcome to you. Thank you. Lovely to speak. Now, your book tells the stories of three mothers in kind of the 40s, the 60s, the 90s, across a big span of time, Aoife, Rosalind and Kate. Can you sketch out just how different their experiences of motherhood were? Yes. Well, I started this book wanting to write about love um, really love um, between sort of romantic love. I felt that I hadn't really touched upon that as a main subject for a novel. And um, it quite quickly became a story about love between mothers and daughters through the generations and the way that our own mothering affects our ability to form um, relationships with in a romantic way. And um, I started to look just for sort of reasons of ease of chronology at my own mother and her mother. And so I, I, um, I didn't have a plot when I began. I was just kind of writing these kind of really playfully. I mean, when you start a novel, it always feels kind of it's sort of the most exhilarating, playful time in the process. It's when you start to get into the kind of difficulties of the plot. And I started to think about my grandmother and how she had had her three children during the war years and she had come from a very poor Irish Catholic up background and her great desire was for her children to become professional women 
and she sent them off very early, four years old, to convent boarding schools and um, and hoped that they would, you know, go into professional lives. Um, of course, they rebelled and became mothers early, etc., as people have to rebel. But when it was really when I was looking at um, the experience of my own mother that I got the plot for the book, and it's something that I had always known, and it's actually one of the fascinating sides of being a writer is you really focus on things that you've kind of known and never really thought so much about. So I, what I knew about my own childhood was that my mother uh, had two children, my sister and myself, when she was very young, before she was 20, and that she kept us both secret for many years from her own family. And she, uh, so that really became the heart of the book, and it the, the repercussions of this then drift on um, to the third character who's based more on my life, who's a, who's a young girl who doesn't know who her family is. Mm. So that's sort of really the background to the very complicated story of these three women. Yes, so there's so many secrets and distances, but also a lot of searching for what what is the ideal of motherhood? What what does being a mother mean to these different women in their own kind of heart-wrenching ways? Esther, could you talk a little bit about the ideals of motherhood that, that kind of shifted across time for those three characters? Yes. I mean, I've, I've been really interested for a while and I loved hearing Rachel talking about, you know, this feeling of rage that arrives in the middle of the night, shocking you to your very core, because I feel that our generation, particularly, or my generation, probably older, is we, we, we rebelled, as everyone has to do, against maybe a more kind of liberal, carefree attitude that I was brought up in the 70s and to such an intensely responsible attitude to our children so that we just have to do it so incredibly well. And um, I think the pressure of that has given rise to, to huge problems for the, for the women, maybe the children too. And I'll be fascinated to see how the next generation do it. So I was my character, Kate, who is raising one child um, in the 90s, and she is even in the most extreme difficult circumstances in her own emotional life, tracing her mother, who she doesn't know, having a very difficult relationship with a with an addicted boyfriend, partner. She's still trying to make sure that the pancakes she makes for her child on the weekend are perfect. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. And I think the, the world of work really complicates things for both uh, the, the key characters in your stories, Esther Freud and Rachel Yoda. Rachel, Night Bitch's husband is an engineer and they go through that, uh, that analysis. Well, you know, he makes more, so it makes more sense for me to stay home, doesn't it? But how does that uh, imbalance in their paid work situations affect their household dynamic? Yeah, I mean, I think that whole question of value and whose work is valued more, what sort of work is valued more, um, you know, whether or not you actually the work actually brings in money, all of those questions were really up for me when I was writing. And um, I was really concerned with, you know, like, what is fair? Um, and, 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 and what is valued and why isn't the work within a domestic sphere um, valued uh, 
in the way that that I felt that it should be and that the protagonist felt it should be. Yeah, well, and I, I did feel sometimes that the husband was a bit of a, a distillation of gender stereotypes. You know, he's not into feelings. He thinks you have complete control over your own happiness. Feelings are just things that move through you. He's he's quite dismissive of night bitches in a world and the mother's in a world and her needs uh, in some senses. Is, was he meant to be a kind of realistic depiction of what women are going through? I mean, it is a story that's playing with types, isn't it? It is a kind of fairy tale. The mother is called the mother. The husband's called the husband. The boy is is the boy. Um, and so I was interested in sort of looking at these sort of tropes or stereotypes and moving them around at, in this imaginative space and saying, okay, is there another sort of fairy tale that I could tell? Um yeah, and so so that's what I was kind of playing around with. I did I didn't want them to be so stereotypical that they were boring, but it was almost like if I were to have written a, an incredibly realistic book, it would have been too close to my own experience. Like I needed that that bit of distance that fiction and almost fairy tale um, telling can provide to tell the story. Yes. Well, and uh, Esther Freud, I was fascinated to kind of think about how the idea of career complicated things when it started to emerge uh, in the, the middle character of yours, because women always worked in your books. So there was always, you know, work that went along with the domestic work, but it was not seen as a career for women in the 40s and 50s necessarily. Then your character in the early, in the 60s has these yearnings and drives to to do something more than just an office job. She wants to be a journalist. And later on, there's this uh, navigating of wanting to work in art, in the art world, as well as be a parent and a good parent. Uh, how does mothering change women's relationships to work in your book? Well, I was really interested in investigating that. And I created um, a character, um, the the. Kate doesn't know that her father, in fact, was a was an artist, but she herself is an artist. And I wanted to look at, I think it's particularly um, difficult for women visual artists. I think that women manage to write. Um, it's not so easy to carve out that time when you're a mother, but it is possible because you can write for just a few hours a day and still feel you can make some progress. But I had noticed um that it's extremely difficult for a woman artist with children to get ahead. And so um, I created this character of Felix, who is a successful artist, and it is his entire world. Nothing comes in front of it, whereas Kate is completely consumed by her desire to create, but she has to stop and run to the school gates to collect her child. She has to work in the middle of the night if she's seized with this desire. And it's never possible for her to lose herself entirely. And I, I was particularly interested in investigating that. That's really interesting because it's such a resonance with Rachel Yoda's book. Rachel, your character uh, is an artist and works worked in the arts too before she uh, came to the point where she couldn't. And it's that different loss of self, isn't it? She yearns to lose herself in a project rather than have that sense of her identity being eroded. Yeah, I mean, it's it's she she kind of comes up against the impossibility of art when she becomes a, a mother, right? Because her 
her whole um, artist self and her identity has kind of, it's, it's as if a bomb's gone off. And so there's no just kind of nice evolution into motherhood. It's more a entire recreation, an entire putting back together of the rubble of your former self. Okay, and how do I kind of... Um, I mean, it's an artistic act in a sense is like rebuilding that identity in motherhood as a mother, as an artist. Um, it, that becomes a sort of creative practice for her by the end of the book. I love the progression through the book, Rachel, too, as mother transforms gradually more into night bitch. She starts howling. She learns to wag her tail. She prowls the neighbourhood with other dogs. And it, let's just say we'll spare our, our listeners' sensibilities, but it does get quite messy for the neighbourhood animals. What should we take <laughs> from this? You know, is, is she, are we, are we hearing that motherhood is a horror story? Uh, I mean, you've been compared to Angela Carter and Mary Shelley, or, or is motherhood a pathway to a more authentic self. Yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, the more I talk about this book, the more I learn about what it is maybe. And I think for me now where I've arrived is the dog, the night bitch really has a lot to say about female desire and um again, just like what happens when we really own that, how it beco- how female desire becomes very dangerous, ferocious um, uh, for the patriarchy and how it's also this pathway um, toward freedom. Um, and maybe, I mean, maybe going along with, with the metaphor, maybe it's messy too along the way. Maybe it's not as pretty um, as as we've painted motherhood in the past. Maybe motherhood's a little messier. That was definitely um, my experience. And so I think um, I just followed that image of the dog and it, um, and yeah, I, that's that's where it led. Yeah, that, that idea of desire and motherhood is sometimes seen as incompatible, isn't it? I mean, you meant to be sacrificing your own needs to those of others, but also, you know, if, if there's the Madonna whore duality in the back of people's minds too, then desire might be incompatible with the idea of just being a mother. Right. I think it's, I think it's really um, provocative and a little taboo to say, to talk about desire and motherhood, um, desire of all sorts, ambition, you know, career desire. Um, because we, I mean, I think the message that Night Bitch is fighting against or is working against is that women should be happy with what they get instead of deserving to have what they want. And she is, that's the journey she's on. She's trying to, trying to get to actually believing that by the end of the book. Uh, We're speaking to Rachel Yoda. Her book is called Night Bitch. It's a wild ride. It's really interesting. And Esther Freud, whose latest novel of many is called I Couldn't Love You More. And it looks at three women's experiences in in life and love and parenting and and, uh, their own relationships to their mothers. Very, very different and very, uh, very... uh, interesting when it comes to comparing them to the social mores of the time. Esther, desire crops up in your book too, doesn't it? It was dangerous, especially for Rosaline pre the advent of contraception. What do you think now about that, uh, that uh, the ability for mothers to have desires? Can we now? Well, I mean, I guess that's really right at the heart of my book. It's so interesting to to listen to to Rachel talking because it's like, you know, motherhood in some ways you're finding yourself, but you're also losing yourself. And the idea that you might actually let go and give in to the sort of sh- sheer 
passion and power that's inside you is scary because you're responsible for somebody else. And very few women forget that um, and are judged very harshly if they do forget it even for one minute. So Rosaline, you know, she's a young woman. She's in love. She's come from a very repressed family where she feels always as if she's being controlled by the church, by her family, by by um, by the sort of times that she's living in where she must behave in a certain way. And what we learn is that they're, they might seem callous the way her parents treat her, but they're also trying to keep her safe. And as we discover, it's very dangerous for a young woman to step outside society. And this is the early 60s. And um, I did a huge amount of research into what happened to young girls in Ireland and in England, especially from Catholic backgrounds, if they so much as dared to behave in what was considered, um, well, it was considered immoral. And you could do so much as just, you know, cast your eyes flirtatiously at someone. Women were put away, locked up, often for years, sometimes for their lives. But certainly young women who became pregnant out of marriage the, the, the person they, they found themselves pregnant that's what the, the phrase was as if it had been nothing to do with anybody else and often with the support of their families but usually because their families had gone to the local priest for help they were locked up in big mother and baby homes which existed until the 90s and they would need they were treated unbelievably brutally there and forced to work like slave laborers and forced to have their babies with no pain killing relief and no stitches. Stitches were not allowed. They had brought this upon themselves and they must suffer for their sins. And I, oddly enough, my book, as I was researching it, I became more and more aware of, of the sort of outrage that was starting to become um, true in Ireland as it, more and more of this was discovered. And the, when the book was published last year, um, it coincided with a report that was commissioned by the government into mother and baby homes and how many women did not survive their treatment and how many babies, hundreds, thousands of babies, who's, who, who didn't survive. And um, when it was still not discovered where they were buried. They were just sort of cast into pits and holes and the mothers are still trying to discover and seek justice. So the book which started off... Um, as I was saying earlier, as a kind of look at love and romance and passion through different generations, became this kind of searing and heartbreaking study at its center uh, into what happened to women who dare to step outside um, their experience. Yes, and that very narrow idea of what ideal motherhood or appropriate motherhood is. Uh, Rachel Yoda, things do change in the domestic labour breakdown in uh, your character's life throughout the course of the book, and her husband starts to do a bit more of the parenting. Is that it then? Happy ending? She she writes, you know, all I'd ever had to do was ask. (laughs) And it just magically <laughs> happens. Hmm. Yeah, is that maybe a little too um, simple? I mean, there is a sort of there is a sort of click of the fingers that happens in the book, um, but I I mean the book the story continues after the book ends, and I don't think it offers up any real simple answers. Um, I think that's sort of a stepping stone toward. Um, a new kind of negotiation and relationship with her husband, right? That this is going to be something where she 
asks for what she needs and what she wants, where she um, lays claim to her time and to her creative space. Um, and I think that's a constant ongoing negotiation. I mean, that's that's the work of a marriage. Well, yeah, and I mean, it, it makes it clear too that these expectations of motherhood are not something always imposed in one direction, you know, by one gender on another. They're societal expectations. We all share them. And, I mean, I get the sense, Rachel, that you're saying that when she can more connect with all the parts of her that she might have been masking or blocking, she's able to have a better connection, a more honest connection with her husband. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't I didn't want this to be a book where it became, oh, the husband's the bad guy or the perfect mom, Jen, is is the bad guy. Um I wanted I wanted this again to be really about her internal journey and that this was um a process of her coming into her um coming into her power, of her coming into this motherhood and coming into an integration. Um, and that was really an inside job. Um, and and how she negotiated that inside of these institutions and these systems, which felt just absolutely insurmountable, um, how she moved around in those. Rachel, you've written in other interviews or you said in other interviews that you yourself have felt torn between the feelings of wanting to revel in this beautiful being that you'd created and give yourself up to that, but also knowing that you wanted to hold on to yourself and the creativity that drives you. How do you negotiate that? I mean, I, it's it's a constant sort of dance, and and I've embraced it as a sort of creative practice, as I was saying earlier, that um, it's something that in the past, as the juggling has really stressed me out. But I think when I really kind of let myself revel in the in the play and creativity um, that I find when I'm with my son, that that sort of only feeds um, my writing and creativity. Uh, but it is also um, a matter of really coming up with um, with boundaries and and saying, okay, you know, I need my three or five hours or however much time today to write, um, and for and for making that a priority and not um, just entirely losing myself um, as I did in early motherhood. Just finally, Esther, do you feel that the experience of living through the pandemic is changing our ideas about how we want to live, especially when it comes to being in families? I thought about it so much when I was going through it. My children were, I was, I felt like I was lucky because my children were older and my, my youngest child just turned 18. So the last few years, he was quite independent. My other kids were a real contribution to the family as opposed to um, feeling like they needed an awful lot from me. They were cooking wonderful things and, you know, bringing things into our lives. But um, I thought a lot about what it would have been like if my kids had been younger. And in a way, what your children always want is for you to just be there the whole time. Mm -hmm. They would have absolutely loved it. Um, whether <laughs> I could have dealt with it so easily. And um, it's so hard because at times in my life, writing and mothering, um, I found it extremely challenging. But as Rachel was saying, if I could just be clear that this is what I need, three sometimes three hours was the minimum. And sometimes I would just need those three hours. 
to kind of reset myself. Yes. And if I could do that, I could be present with my children and joyful. But if I didn't have that, I felt mm. as if I, I just, it was just overwhelming. I, I, I think that young men now have a much more um, sensitive approach. And I feel excited about that when I see young couples with their children. That's very heartening. Esther Freud, Rachel Yoda, thank you both so much for joining us today. It's been a great pleasure talking with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Rachel Yoda is the award-winning author of the best-selling book, Night Bitch. And Esther Freud is the award-winning author of many best-selling books, including Hideous Kinky and her latest, I Couldn't Love You More. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations, live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.